turn to 1 Kings 17. Before I get going here, uh, you know, I'm the kind that kind of sees everything. And you can always tell when we're having technical issues when there's more than six sound guys in the booth. So just so you know, Stephen, when the preaching starts, the troubleshooting stops. Just give up. Uh, uh, I'm jealous of this time. I want the stream to work for everybody that's not here, but the priority is these, this group right here. This is the priority. This is, even if the mics weren't working and the lights weren't off, we could still have church. All right, so, uh, so just I'm absolving you from all responsibility, from anything that might go wrong from here on out. Now that the preaching has started, the troubleshooting can stop. All right, so, so anybody that's been tuning in or anything and wondering about that, we can't make it as good as church. We just can't do that. Sometimes it'll break, uh, but, but we do our best to make it as helpful as possible. 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning is where we'll be spending all of our time. As a matter of fact, we're going to be spending the entire day in this uh, passage of Scripture. For those of you that you know, have been asleep for the past two weeks, we have been emphasizing giving in January. And last week we looked at Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight. Lots to say in Second Corinthians about giving. We looked at how we are to be excelling in the grace of giving. It's something we should be growing in and even abounding in more and more. Then in the afternoon uh, before communion, we looked at how we can find joy in our giving, and it's a source of a Christian's joy in his walk with Christ, and how we as Christians who give are emulating our Heavenly Father who gave His own Son for us. And then if you happen to come to Sunday school last week, we also looked at uh, chapter 1 of Haggai, how God said, listen, uh, my temple is unfinished, my house is undone, and your houses are pretty nice. And in focusing on your own needs and your own wants and your own desires, you've neglected God's uh, work. And we looked at neglecting God's work and how that should play into our giving, some of our priorities there. Today, we're going to look at the miracle of giving from 1 Kings 17. The miracle of giving from 1 Kings 17. I want to give you some background, some context, so we can, uh, I don't just assume that I can say 1 Kings 17 and everybody know where we are in history or in time. And so 1 Kings 17, just for some background. King David died around 970 BC, and Solomon died about 40 years after that. And after Solomon is off the scene, those of you that know uh, what happens in Israel's history, the kingdom is divided into the northern kingdom, which is referred to as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah. And Ahab was a king of Israel. He was a king of the northern kingdom. And Ahab began to reign about 55 years after Solomon passed away, or about nearly 100 years after King David was off the scene. Along comes King Ahab, a northern king. Just to help you in your Sunday school curriculum, all of the 19 northern kings were bad. Oh, there was not one righteous king in the northern kingdom. Eight out of 20 of the southern kings, the king of Judah, uh, eight, of, eight out of 20, God had some good things to say about those eight. 
uh, but all of the ones in the north were bad. Ahab, a northern king again, reigns about 22 years, and he is a terribly wicked king. We don't have time to list all the ways in which Ahab was bad, but one of the things that he did was he married a pagan princess who was renowned for her wickedness, and her name was Jezebel. And everybody probably recognizes that name because of how wicked this woman was. And Ahab continued in all the sins of his predecessors. Remember I said that the northern kings were bad. He continued in all those sins, but the Bible says that he considered their sins as trivial in comparison with his own. He went way beyond their wickedness. He built a temple to Baal in Samaria. He was a very treacherous, selfish man. He had a sadistic wife, and he allowed his wife to orchestrate a conspiracy in his name, falsely accusing a man of blasphemy and treason in order to murder him and his family because Ahab really wanted his vineyard. And that's how bad he was. But Scripture says of Ahab that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Not a great guy. Somewhere around nine years into Ahab's reign, Elijah prays that it would not rain for three and a half years, and then he goes into hiding. He's an enemy of the state because of this. And he started off at the brook Cherith, being uh, given water from the brook and being fed by ravens that brought him food. But when that dried up, God sent Elijah to Zarephath, which, by the way, is a town in Jezebel's homeland. So 1 Kings 17 is where we pick up in the story. Elijah has been at the brook Cherith for this time. He's been sustained by the Lord there. He's in hiding. And the word of the Lord comes to Elijah in verse 8, saying, Arise. Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son." For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? 
Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. From 1 Kings 17, we're going to look at seven principles of giving. Seven principles of giving, and I've got a lot of ground to cover, and I didn't really pull any punches this morning, so we might be stretched a little bit, and I do believe that if we surrender right now to the Spirit of God, that though this message might hit close to home for us, it could be a real help and a blessing to your walk with Christ. In order to keep this message on point, what I've done is divided it into two parts. So we're going to have a cliffhanger at the end of a message today, and you have to come back this afternoon to hear the rest. But this morning, we're going to cover four of those seven principles of giving from 1 Kings 17, and we'll pick up with the second part this afternoon. This story in 1 Kings 17 is a story that I have loved since children's Sunday school class. Naturally, it's, it's a marvelous, miraculous account of a woman's willingness to part with her last bit of food and God's faithfulness to sustain that last bit of food to feed her, her son, and the prophet for years. This is an example of miraculous giving. And that's something that very few in the American church know anything about. Because giving to the modern Christian is a matter of budgeting. It's a matter of appropriating and contributing. Seldom does it rise to the level of truly sacrificing and then depending on the direct intervention and provision of the Almighty God to provide. Only you know what your giving is like. But can I ask you as a friend and gently this morning about your giving, is it safe? Is it routine? Is it budgeted? Think about your giving. And I think this is one of the reasons that we don't uh, teach and preach about this so much. Is your giving in your heart and your mind even boring? And now I want you to consider, for the rest of the message this morning, in your own heart before the Lord, is your giving miraculous? Is your giving miraculous? And as we consider that question, let's dive into those four of the seven principles, starting with the situation of giving. The situation of giving is described to us here in 1 Kings 17. There's four observations I want you to see. Notice, first of all, that this woman, this widow, was facing famine. 
The situation of giving, she was facing famine. And Elijah the Tishbite, verse 1, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. She was facing famine. When God called this woman to give, it was not during years of plenty. Everyone, everywhere, was facing severe difficulty. If you think about this story, the famine, the drought, it was bad enough that the brook that Elijah had been uh, being sustained from, the brook Cherith, dried up. This is a culture, this is a time in the world where they depended upon rivers and brooks to sustain them, to feed their, uh, to, to water their flocks, to water their crops, to wash their clothes. They, they didn't have indoor plumbing. And the brook dried up, which meant that people all over the place were facing significant hardship. Yet in the midst of that hardship, God commanded a widow woman to sustain his prophet. Which we can infer then that giving has nothing to do with the status of the world around you. Giving does not rely on financial security and on positive futures in your portfolio because giving, as we find here, is a command of God. He commanded a widow woman to sustain his prophet. This is not an example of giving that made any sense at all. It would have to be miraculous for this to work out. She was facing famine. Notice also she was facing grief. It says in verse 9, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So remember this detail. God commands a widow to give. A widow. This woman had lost her husband. Now, we don't know the details. Maybe the drought had something to do with it. We don't know. Maybe he died in a battle. Maybe he fell ill. Nevertheless, this woman had buried her husband. Giving does not rely on your happiness. It does not rely on your relationships. This woman who had buried her husband was commanded by God to give. She was facing grief. She was facing famine. She was also facing obligation. Obligation. It says in verse 12, And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel, and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. As if her circumstances were not bad enough, she had a son that she had to care for. Their sole provider, her husband, his father was dead, and it fell on her to provide for them both. And what you need to realize and remember that this was a single mother in an ancient society. Women did not work. There was no career path for a woman in ancient society. They depended upon the family structure to survive. If you were widowed, your best bet would be to move back into your father's house or marry again. But this woman didn't have that option. She and her son were all that they had. And somehow, some way, she had to keep food on the table for the both of them in the midst of a drought. 
And then God drops a prophet on her doorstep and gives her one more mouth to feed. Giving does not depend upon your obligations or responsibilities. Because for a Christian, giving is a responsibility. She was facing obligation and grief and famine. She was also facing starvation. Starvation. Verse 12, she says, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She was literally getting her oven ready for their last meal. God's timing is incredible, isn't it? Think about this. He promises, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. He promises Elijah, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you, to provide for you. And when Elijah shows up on her doorstep, she is literally in the process of preparing the last meal she and her son will ever eat. She's facing starvation. And God commands her to give. Giving does not depend on how desperate your situation is. God commands his people to be givers. That's the situation of her giving. She was facing famine and grief and obligations and starvation. Now notice the sequence of giving. The sequence of giving in 1 Kings 17. It says in verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. There's four points regarding the sequence of giving that we can find right here. And this one, notice, first of all, giving came before the solution. Giving came before the solution. Isn't it interesting the way that God chose to provide for this woman. She was told to go and make Elijah a meal first before her needs would be met. Folks, I think everybody understands and that's in this room under the sound of my voice this morning that God could have miraculously filled the barrel and the cruise right then. Elijah could have said, hey, check again. Your pantry's full. But that's not the way God did it, is it? She could have had everything she needed before she needed it. God could have done that for her. But instead, God called her to give what she had left before he miraculously met her need. God calls us to upfront anticipatory giving, to give before. To give 
before. That means before all the month's bills are paid, before that raise that you're hoping for comes, before you know that you can put food on the table, before you purchase the curriculum to teach your children, before you fill up your gas tank at the gas station, before you get the quarterly returns back so you can see how your portfolio is going to do, before the end of the year and you can calculate all the tax incentives, before you know what the surgery or the treatment plan is going to cost, God calls you to give before the solution. A deacon told me once when the church was threatened with the loss of our largest source of income, at least 10% of our budget, at a time when we desperately needed it to survive, we were faced with the loss of that income. And the deacon said, you know, pastor, you don't need to have faith if you have all the answers. And giving... Biblical grace giving is an act of obedience done in faith. And folks, there is no faith required of you when you have plenty. And God does not call us to give of our leftovers, but of our first fruits. As someone once said, are you giving God what is right or what is left? Ask God, ask God how he would have you to give. And do it in such a way that you would be willing to give God even that which you could not possibly give. Before the solution, God commanded this woman to give. And then notice, he also commanded her to give before themselves. Before themselves. Who got fed first? The prophet did. God did not tell this woman that she would have enough to feed the prophet also after feeding her family, but rather that she would have enough to feed her, her family after she first fed his prophet. She was called to give before herself and her own son. And this is the biblical principle of giving, that we honor the Lord first. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 say, Honor the Lord with thy substance. And with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. This is why I can confidently say that giving is to be done before all the bills are paid, and before all the groceries are, pur are purchased, and before all the needs are met, because we are called to give before ourselves. John Blanchard said that Christian giving is not a matter of finance, it's a matter of faith. The church treasurer counts what we give, but God counts what we keep. And for giving to be truly miraculous, you must give before yourself. Before the solution and before themselves and before substantiation. Now don't let that big word throw you. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Before substantiation, if you read the story again, you'll discover that God called this woman and commanded this woman to give before his promises were substantiated. By that I mean this woman did not have the full assurance of, in the God of Elijah. She was not confident in this God. She did not have full faith in this God. You find later on in the chapter, when Elijah raises her son back from the dead through the power of God, then she says, now I know 
But at this point in her life, she did not know at all. This she was called to give before God proved himself to her. She's called to provide for a man she knows nothing about in the name of the God that she herself does not trust in. And she had not seen any miracles yet. Understand what I, what I mean by this, but you don't need incredible faith to see God do incredible things. The principle of miraculous giving is all throughout the scriptures, and it's true whether you believe it yourself or not. It's there. Why not give and test the promises of God? Why not ask Him, as the disciples once did, to increase your faith and then discover that faith, even that is as small as a mustard seed, can accomplish impossible things because our God is the God of the impossible. And that applies to our giving also. Someone once said it this way, that faith is not a pill you take, it's a muscle you use. And has your giving been exercising that spiritual muscle called faith? She was called to give before she even was confident in the God to whom she was giving. And she was called to give before the supernatural. The supernatural. This woman was told to give her last meal to Elijah before the oil and the meal were miraculously sustained. God's provision did not precede her giving. Rather, she proved God's provision by her giving. We are tempted to desire that God would provide so that we can give. But this is not the way God has designed biblical giving to work. God does not provide so that we can afford to give. We are called to give and God promises to provide. You might wish to see God's miraculous provision in your life, but if you're holding back in the area of giving, can I tell you, friend, you are not providing Him any opportunities to be miraculous in your life. Vance Havner said, God hates a false economy that is out to reduce a budget instead of receive a blessing. And God calls us to give before the supernatural to prove His provision and His promises by giving like this woman did. The sequence of giving and the situation of giving. Now notice the specificity of giving. Verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. There's three ways in which giving is specific that we can draw out of this passage right here. First of all, giving should be and is specific in its purpose. It's specific in its purpose. God gave this woman a reason to give. 
She was called to feed God's prophet. She was called to be the miraculous means of his provision. Giving meets a need. It's really nice to know what that need is. And you should know that when you give to the church, it finances the work of the ministry. It keeps the lights on. It, 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 it keeps the salaries paid. It, it buys the materials for outreach and programs. It, it, God uses the giving of his people to facilitate his church. And my argument from scripture is that the only method God has provided to meet the needs of the church is through the giving of his people. So when you give to the church, you fulfill that specific need. When you give to missions, it meets a real specific need. It supports missionaries that you've met and that you know and that you've interacted with. It puts food on their table. It helps them go from here to there. In my own experience in giving to missions, I've seen my giving help repair their homes. I've seen it buy them new vehicles. I've, I've seen it purchase Bibles, and the list goes on. But the needs are real. They're real needs. There's purpose in it. It's not just a bank account of some huge organization that you have no control over. It's real people with real needs seeing God work in real ways every single day. And Christian giving is specific in its purpose. One person said, do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going. It's good to know my giving accomplishes this. It's specific in its purpose. It's specific in its portion. In its portion. Elijah makes a very specific request. First, make me a little cake. She was told the exact amount that was required of her. Just a little cake. Now, in this instance, of course, that was more than she could possibly afford to give. Nevertheless, it was a specific portion. What specific amount is God calling you to give to him? It's easy to be faithful in giving if we never bother to assign a price tag to it. If we just give a little here and there, but never sit down and count the cost, our giving is nothing more than a way of bribing our own conscience to keep it quiet. A man, as we saw already, is required to purpose in his own heart ahead of time how he ought to give. That means to sit down and set an amount and then hand it over to God. In our day and age, as someone once pointed out, often those who have trouble giving God 10% have no problem giving 18% to MasterCard. And your giving ought to be specific in its portion. You ought to sit down and count the cost and be purposeful in it. How much has God called me to give? It's specific in its purpose and its portion and its period. It's specific in its period. Verse 14, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. It's worth noting that Elijah told this woman up front exactly how long she would provide for him until the drought was over. Again, what do we see here? A specific need, a specific amount, a specific time frame. God does not expect you to give today the way you gave yesterday. He expects you to give according to today's blessings 
and and to meet today's needs and in today's circumstances, there is no one-size-fits-all for giving, which is why you'll probably never hear me preach on tithing. Because you'll hear me preach messages like this, which go way above and beyond 10%. Because there is no one-size-fits-all for giving when it comes to the grace-filled life of a Christian. It's individual, it's purposeful, and it's a grace that you should be growing in. And so it's good to take time and prayerfully seek God's face regarding how he would have you to give. And you should be asking yourself, how does God expect me to give? What does God expect of my giving this year that will be different than last year? Giving a specific And then notice the supplier in giving. For thus, verse 14, Set the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake. By Elijah. There are three truths concerning the supplier of giving. First, the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord. This promise that she would have enough was not the promise of the prophet. It was the promise of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And this truth that I'm preaching to you today, this is not man's method or man's opinion. It's verse by verse, the word of the Lord. And her giving was done in response to the promise of the Lord. Why are you giving? Who are you giving to impress? Your friends? Your family, your, your church people, the pastor, whatever organization that you're part of, yourself. Your reason for giving should be that it gives pleasure to the Lord. That you love your heavenly Father. Your sole reason for giving should be based upon the word of the Lord. That's the only valid motive forgiving. And she gave because of the promise of the Lord. And then notice the proving by the Lord. The proving by the Lord. God was testing this widow. He proved her to see if she would give, but there's another individual in this circumstance that is being tested. God was also testing Elijah. I just imagine, can you imagine? Elijah, brook dries up, God says, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you, and he shows up at her doorstep. What do you think he would expect? Maybe that she was wealthy? Maybe that she had plenty? And he finds her preparing to cook her last meal. It was also Elijah being tested. You never know your role. You never know your role, but God can use you for the benefit of others. Giving is an exercise of faith, and not just your own faith, but also the faith 
of others. Think about this. How, and I understand you may never know this, but I think you can answer this generally in your own heart. How many miraculous answers to prayer have you been for someone else because of your giving to the Lord? How many opportunities have you given the Lord to prove Himself faithful through your act of faithfulness in giving for someone else? This is what Paul was trying to help the church in Corinth understand in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 through 14. He says, For the administration of this service, the giving, the, the, the offering, it not only supplieth the want of the saints but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. They're going to give God thanks because of your faithfulness to give. While by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them, that's giving, and to all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. God is telling the church in Corinth, your giving it's going to grow the faith of other churches. It's going to bring glory to God through the testimony of others. Your faithfulness and the proving of your faith could be the very thing that God uses to prove the faith of those around you. Husbands, the way you lead your household in this area of giving may be the way God shows your wife his faithfulness. It may be the way God proves to your children his faithfulness to provide. Your giving church might be the way God proves to your pastor that he is going to provide. Or your Sunday school students. Or your co-workers. Your co-workers are probably wringing their hands and wondering over the stock market and over the housing market and all that. Why is it that you're not shaken by these things? Why is it that you aren't worried about these things. Maybe God will use your faithfulness in giving to prove himself to them. Or your neighbors. Yes, giving is private and personal, but it's also an act of participation in which God's people corporately and collectively walk by faith in the goodness of Almighty God. And your giving, God could use it. And then notice the provision of the Lord. God made the promise. God did the proving. God got the credit. The provision of the Lord. Verse 16, And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. This is where, as a kid, I went, But how? Give me more. Did she open it every morning? It was the same amount. How did this work? But the truth is, God did as he said he would do. God did as he said he would do. All of his promises are true. Your God is a God worth trusting. He is a God worth proving. So have you proved him lately? What exactly are you trusting in? Try trusting in the Lord and give joyfully and generously and watch him provide. J. Vernon McGee once said, don't tell me you're trusting God until you trust him with your pocketbook. He could say that because he was on radio. 
But the fact of the matter is this. Try proving him. And watch him provide. How small our faith is in the area of giving. Because we make it into something mundane and methodical and manageable. And yet, God's design and desire for every single one of His children is that your giving would be miraculous. And we saw from this incredible example of faith that giving has nothing to do with your circumstances or the status of the world around you because it's a command of God. It doesn't require you to be happy or healthy or have the ideal home life. It does not take into account your obligations or your worldly responsibilities because for a Christian, giving itself is a vital spiritual responsibility. Giving doesn't take into account the desperation of your circumstances because the command to give does not rely on your own means to provide, but rather on God's means to provide. God calls us and commands us to give before because grace giving is an act of obedience done in faith. And we are to honor the Lord first. And the principle of trusting God in giving is prevalent all throughout the Bible, and whether we believe it and whether we put it to the test, nevertheless, it is true. And God does not provide so that we can afford to safely give, but rather calls His people to give in faith. To give in faith. To have faith in His promise to provide. What He requires each and every one of us to do is to discern the will of God, and purpose in our own heart to predetermine with the Lord, God, how much would you have me to give? And then hand it over in faith. And you, you never know. You never know how God will use you. There's no one-size-fits-all forgiving. It's personal. It's individual. It's a grace that you should be growing in. It's an exercise of your faith. And not just your own, it exercises the faith of others also. And it's private, it's personal, but we need to remember our giving as Christians is an act of participation in which we corporately and collectively walk together in faith. He's a God worth trusting and a God worth proving. But the question is, have you proved Him lately? Try trusting the Lord. Give joyfully, give generously, and even give courageously and watch Him provide because God's design and desire is that your giving should be miraculous. And so the question then is, is it? Let's bow our heads this morning. This really is a deeply personal thing between you and the Lord. Because this is something that requires faith. Sometimes there's a fine line between foolhardiness and faith, and you have to seek God's face. But I think the simple question that you could ask, Lord, has my giving been 
miraculous. What comes first? What comes first? Faith or the budget? This morning, as the piano starts to play, we want to give you an opportunity to really seek the Lord's face in this matter. If you need to come forward and pray, we welcome you to do that. We'll sing together in a moment. But take this opportunity and seek God's opinion on this matter for your heart and your life.